Hey there, film fans. I'm Jeff. <laughs> I'm Dave. And I'm John. And welcome back to the midweek show of The Love of Cinema, a pod in which we'll challenge one Ooh. another to discuss movies both new and old with a strictly positive critical eye. That's right, people. This is a drinking game podcast, not a stuffy criticism podcast. We are not taking a look at this movie and trying to decide whether or not it's good. It is a good movie. It is in the vaults of legendary <laughs> movies that we are talking about today, but we want to have some fun rewatching it. So get a beer. And if you hear this sound, that means... Wait for it. Wait for yep, it. Yep. Yep. Now I'm pushing <laughs> buttons. Nothing's happening. That means uh... that we are drinking and we hope that you drink along with us and have some fun. Yeah, I got nothing. All right. So here we go, friends. <laughs> Before we get into our movie this week, this this movie was actually suggested by John and I because we had never seen it. But our previous guest host, Jack here, said that this was his favorite movie. And so and it's just one of those movies that I can't believe I had never seen before. So I was so happy to ask. So, Jack, before we get into the staying. Can you introduce yourself for us? Can you just give it give us like the one minute speech? Sure. What, what, yeah, go ahead. Uh, I got in radio in 1972. Um, I saw this film that we're going to talk about in college. Yes. Uh, yeah. It was the first time I saw it. Um, I'll be celebrating my 50th year in 2022 in this business. Excellent. And I've been blessed to spend all of my career pretty much in my hometown uh, around Charlotte. Oh, my gosh. Jack Daniel. So, and can you just can you tease the uh the name of your radio station and um, where to find it's K one oh four point seven. It's uh there's about a no, there's about a ninety second delay on the buzzer. I know, right? <laughs> um and I do uh oh the midday God, uh shift from ten A to three I mean, Yeah. <laughs> if presses are going, there's there's like six more of those. But uh <laughs> so so, right. well, here, I just want to ask you a question really quick before we get into... Oh, my See, there God. Right. Damn it, Dave. Okay, we're going to stop. We're no, gonna stop. we have to use this. This is so funny. Before <laughs> we get into... Oh, the buzz is... Dave, oh, my Dave's God. hands are, are in the air right I now. I'm touching it. <laughs> okay. Oh. Okay. Before we get into our conversation about The Sting, which, as we said before, sure. is, is probably your favorite movie. Mm-hmm. So, we have here a movie podcast. Um, a lot of people in this world now have movie podcasts. You can create a movie podcast overnight that can't mm. be produced as well as Dave can produce a podcast having worked right. in audio forever yeah i'm doing great but you <laughs> but, <laughs> this episode excluded this but, but jack you have been in radio for 50 years as you said and so yeah. you watched firsthand the front row seat podcast come in so what's it been like being in radio and watching podcasts take off um actually i think it's fantastic and the reason is is because there's so many talented people that have content that they can put out but they didn't have a platform like radio people, you know, have a transmitter in a studio and a way to get all that stuff out. And technology has made it such that, you know, um, people who are not necessarily broadcasters can put together a podcast like you guys have done. Um, and, you know, the content, people are searching for content constantly and they don't have yeah. to, they don't have to get it from radio stations anymore. Uh, we're just, you know, we're part of the ways that they can get content. So I, I was all for it because I, um, you know, there have been people who have started podcasts and turned those podcasts into broadcasting careers. Uh, so yeah, it's yeah. a way um, for uh, a lot of the training ground that's not possible now with the the radio business in that you have 
huge corporations owning so many stations and centralizing a lot of their operations that, you know, that training shift uh, where somebody did midnight to six, you know, and, and that's how they got their feet wet in the business. And that's how they learned how to do it. People are able to learn that now through their podcast. So I, yeah, I, I, I watched it happen and was, I was rooting for it. I wasn't one of these broadcasters. Oh, we need to, they need to leave that to the professionals. You know, I don't, I don't believe that at all. I think it's, it was, it's great that the technology allows people to do that. Awesome. Are so there, two, there... two follow-up questions really quick. Sure. Number one, did you ever want to talk about something that you were said, no, people wouldn't want to listen to that. And now there's definitely a podcast for it. And number two, <laughs> and number two, when people are like, people love podcasts, they have to commute to work, they have to travel. And you're like, yeah, I know this has been our, <laughs> this has been our business model for 50 sure, years. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, we're in competition for everything. I mean, Radio stations compete with people's time, and your time can be spent doing a lot of things, watching television, playing video games, surfing the internet, watching YouTube. So there's there's more competition than ever before. Um, however, the, the statistics will tell you that 92% of uh, all Americans um, use the radio at least twice a week. You know, because you can get all the music you want from a playlist, uh, but you can't get the personalities. And podcasts really are just a vehicle for personalities. So, yeah, I think it's a, I think it's an incredible opportunity for people to flood the market with their opinions, um, and not just force people to, you know, wonder what people are thinking. So. Nice. I have a follow-up. Sure. Uh, other than the hit trending movie discussion podcast, The Love of Cinema Pod, are there any other um, <laughs> podcasts that you're hardcore about that you maybe have gone all the way through that you listen to every day or every week? What are your, Do you have a couple faves that you might want to throw I do. out? Uh, I love Crime Junkies. Yes! I think Hell it's yeah. excellent. And Medical Mysteries, which is an offshoot that actually Flowers does. I've gotten into that. Um, I also like her presidential podcast where she, you know, digs up all the dirt yeah. on, uh, you know, past presidents. It's pretty fascinating. Does awesome. Brit just not do work for our crime junkie fans out there? So Ashley, Ashley does all the work and Brit just shows up and plays off her. It seems <laughs> like it's it. So great. It seems like <laughs> Brit just, you know, uh, drops in. She does some. Some live so, reads, as we call them, you know, commercial yeah. sponsorships during the podcast. But. Nice. And now you know how John and I feel every week. That's exactly how I feel, dude. You guys take your right. notes. I'm just going to riff. And right. of course, well, that's awesome. Yeah, the Joe Sorry. Rogan podcast is a favorite of mine, too. Me, nice. too. I'm a big, big. We don't we don't promote people with a hundred million dollars. All right, so thank you so much, Jack. Thank you so much again, everybody. Go ahead and find Jack. We'll put information about him in the show notes. And please, we just did an episode on Army of the Dead, Zack Snyder's film. Jack was a part of that. Please give that a listen. Like, subscribe. We got a lot of new movies and a lot of movies that you should have seen by now coming out. I'll pass it over to John while we get into the movie of today. That is right. Today is the midweek episode. That means we're going to be doing our new segment. This is the second time we're doing it. It's should have seen that by now. Again, this is the second one. Last week's episode should have seen that by now was what you guys? What was the first one? Citizen, Citizen. motherfucking Kane. 
Yeah. The ultimate should have seen that by now. We eased in. Yeah, that was fun. So this is the second week we thought we would try to, uh, we're going to, you know, we have a guest on, obviously, Jack Daniel, K104.7. We're going to try to have guests on as often as possible because we think it's going to be fun to have people either shame us or let us shame them for having not seen something that is probably classic, popular, whatever you want to call it. Um, so stay tuned. We're going to try to have guests on more often. This one is a ringer, folks. Jack Daniels' favorite movie is 1973, George Roy Hill's The Sting, starring Robert Redford and Paul Newman. And just one more time, all three of us, all of us, Jeff, John, and Dave, the hosts of The Love of Cinema, <laughs> have never seen this movie. Go fuck ourselves. Buzz all three of us. <laughs> all three of us can fuck fucking ourselves. drink right now. <laughs> Ah, there's your moment of silence. Go let me set this ourselves. movie up. We should put that on our merch. Yeah. Go fuck ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> so let me set this up just really quickly for you. Uh, George Roy Hill, director of Thoroughly Modern Millie, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, Slaughterhouse Five, and The Sting. He also went on to do Slapshot, uh, Funny Farm. It, it, but that really that little run right there. He basically went from 1967, yeah. 30 the Modern Millie up to right. the Sting in 1973. That's quite a run. 30 the Modern Millie, Butch Cassidy, Slaughterhouse Five, and the Sting. Uh, once again, after Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, he is teaming up with again Robert Redford and Paul Motherfucking Newman. It also stars Robert Shaw, uh, Ray Walson, Charles Durning, Eileen Brennan, Harold Gould, a whole cast of characters, and Darth um, Vader's brother. And Darth Vader's yeah. brother, who can fucking Ro- forget Darth Robert Vader's brother? Robert Earl Jones. This, the only, the IMDb, I love this, the tight one sentence IMDb description of this movie. Two grifters team up to pull off the ultimate con. Now, perhaps you listened to our previous episode on the uh, Army of the Dead, which describes itself as pulling off the ultimate heist. Maybe you should feel comfortable not agreeing with that because this might be the ultimate con. This is the legendary The Sting. And anyone who hasn't seen this movie so far is going to enjoy themselves quite a bit if you enjoyed Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Because Paul Newman and Robert Redford are back together with the director. I uh, Before I go any further with this, I wanted to kind of throw a question to you guys. Out of movie stars of this era... Do you think there is a buddy duo of two handsome fellas that can compete with these guys? Would you watch any movie starring these two dudes? Like the, the chemistry that goes on with these two guys? I, I've watched a lot of them. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you watched a lot Not of them. Not necessarily this, is... this one, but yeah. <laughs> until yeah. now, but yeah. So this is I another have, one, right? I, yeah. Here's the longer setup, basically. This is a Depression-era um, grifter. Not It's not a heist movie. It's a con movie, which, you know, I don't think they make enough of these movies these are really fun these are uh what does cinema do so well you know weave a tale weave a mystery something that the director and the writer knows that you don't know quite yet so this is about robert redford's character kind of switching places which i really appreciate and butch cassidy and the sundance kid paul newman is kind of in more of the lead role robert redford is you know with him but maybe a little bit more quiet in the background a little bit less lines in this one robert redford takes front and center he plays the character Johnny, Johnny Hooker. Hooker, Johnny Hooker, who is basically on the run at the beginning. He gets into some shambles with the mob. He accidentally grips a guy who was doing a mob payoff. Shit ensues. He basically has to go to the uh, to Paul Newman to help him out. His name is his character's name is Henry Gondorf. 
And he basically goes to Paul Newman because Paul Newman is the godfather of cons in the Midwest. Apparently he owns Chicago. He is the con man. And Robert Redford gets basically under his wing and they set out to fulfill the greatest con in Chicago history against Robert Shaw's character, Doyle Lonigan, a powerful gangster, Wall Street money man that's from New York and has, you know, prowess in Chicago. Right. So um, that's kind of the long and short of it. Everything ensues. It is told in chapters, which I love. So it's already in this depression era, and it is told literally in book chapters. There are there are stops with title cards that tell you each segment, mm-hmm. the tale, the grift, the sting. The you know it builds the all setup. these different things. Yeah, yeah. yeah the yeah. setup. So before I go any further, I just want to ask mm-hmm. Jack not to put you on the spot too no. too hard here, but when you saw this movie one year into college. <laughs> mm-hmm. Did you already know immediately when you saw it, you were like, I fucking love this movie. And if if you knew then, why has it stood the test of time? Why do you love this movie so much? Other than the fact that it has a fucking 8.3 rating on IMDb, definitely won its fair share of awards, definitely yeah. has a lot of a critical acclaim. Why did it talk to you so much? Why does it continue to speak to you? Um, I've always liked period piece films. You know, I just, yeah. I, I love the how they take you back with the costumes and, and then and the sets and and tell you a story from another time, um, and I, and I I like the confidence type plots as well. There's another great movie called uh, Confidence with um, Edward Norton that is really nice. Good. Yeah, mm. if you get a chance, uh, you if you like that sort of movie, you could watch that. But um, it, you know, it, it's a caper movie, you know. And uh, yeah. they're yeah. they're they're basically it becomes a re- revenge tale after uh, Luther's character you know is killed by the um, the mob because they inadvertently stole money from you know uh, a mule and uh, it's just it's told beautifully I mean the soundtrack from Marvin Hamlish is incredible and at you know at that point 1973. There were no bigger stars on the silver screen than Robert Redford and Paul Newman. And, uh, you know, this was a few years before Robert Shaw had his, um, I I think, his biggest role in Jaws. Um, And so he's great in this. It's just, um, and, you know, the, the, the way that they also are pulling the wool over the gangster's eyes and doing the, the sting, they also do the same thing to the audience. You know, while you're watching yeah. this, they're you're not seeing everything either. You know, you're you're led down a path uh that you think one thing and and then something totally different is what's really happening. I just loved it. I just thought it was great. Yeah, I wanted to put you on the spot. Just one follow-up really quickly and then we'll start passing it around. You said it on our previous episode. We introduced him in the in the episode on Army of the Dead. And we were talking about how Jack joined us for the episode of Grease 2 and the Verdict and how he admitted in there, we asked him point blank, what's your favorite movie? He said The Sting. When was the last time you had watched The Sting before for this uh, for this week's episode with us? Um, I average watching The Sting about twice, three times a year. <laughs> Oh shit! I was gonna, I was yeah. gonna say, does it yeah, hold we, up? Yeah. But clearly, that no, answers it. I mean, I own a copy of it, and uh, every once in a while, I'll just say, you know, I'm in the mood to watch the sting, and I'll watch it start to finish, and I enjoy it as as thoroughly as I ever have. So, in, in my view, it does it does hold up. All right. So, all right, that, that's awesome. I'm gonna kick it around. I want to kind of throw out a big 
thesis question to everybody, and the answers could be both of these things. The the movie making, the story is clearly awesome. Uh, so does it even need Redford and Newman to to make it as majestic? You know, maybe you can make that argument. On the other hand, I had a fellow film lover ask me recently, do you think people still watch movies this, uh, to see actors that we love, like Newman and Redford, just just doing their thing together? And uh, my answer to that was, you know, I'm not even sure uh, if movie stars exist the same way they do or if they're going to exist the same way they did. Just the way things yeah. are moving into serial format. If you're not wearing a cape and tights, I'm not sure if we're going to have that kind of movie star level anyway. Um, so I just kind of wanted to throw those things out there. W w as we talk about the most important elements of this, is it a perfect combination of two iconic movie stars and a great script? Or was it just elevated by these two movie stars? What is your favorite part about this, Jeff and Dave? Or did you guys have some issues with it? <clears throat> Jeff, do you want to go first? Um, I would say you're right, except you're wrong about the fact that there is still a sliver of people at the top that disprove that in the sense that if Pitt or Clooney come out in a movie, everybody knows about it. And that's what Whereas I said, of course. If you, yeah. didn't, if, you, if you didn't have stars, yeah. that you don't have that instant, oh, we, got, we should see that. Or at least, if nothing else, hey, there's no. that new movie coming out with uh, Paul Newman and Robert the, Redford. The counter, the counter argument to that, and that was released in an article this week, was that everybody loves Tom Holland in Spider-Man. They didn't like him in Cherry. Exactly. That's kind no, of he's what I'm not, saying. He's not, any, he's not anywhere near that list, though, because kids you can't rely on. But that's kids exactly... Would, kids, would, kids would find a TikTok star before they would but find But that's exactly kind of now. what I'm saying, is that um, I, like I was already a huge fan of Robert Downey Jr. before <laughs> know, he put on the Iron Man suit. But um, all these other new stars, I'm certainly less right. less pumped to see some of their movies when they go off and make them because they're not them. They're the superhero versus yeah. when Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> exactly. put on the Iron Man suit, Robert Downey yeah. Jr. put on the Iron Man suit, not the opposite. So I'm just curious. Not, yeah. None of us saw the judge like uh, Downey Jr. can still be in a Downey, Downey Jr. can Downey still be Jr. in a bomb. Did. <laughs> he probably didn't want to. I saw that movie. Um, I thought it was I, good. I enjoyed. Okay, cool. I'm sure it's good. I'm sure. I mean, it has legends. Yeah. Bobby Duvall. Okay. Anyway, but to your initial point, what about this movie? It does need them, not just because they're stars, because the stars do get you interested, but their ability to transcend who they are in real life on screen yes. is something that we want from everybody. And I would almost wager the beginning of a thesis. So I'm going to print the first draft here, which is <laughs> if only Robert Downey Jr. and all these other stars, if only they could do what Robert, what, what Robert Redford and Paul Newman do in this film by transcending that type. Cause Paul Newman acts his ass off as both the actor, Paul Newman and the character Gondorf, who is playing another version of a con man. He, he, he's playing, you have three different levels going on that only certain people on this planet can pull off. And so the fact that movie star Paul Newman can pull off character ridiculous actor con person gondor that's something that you, you can't just rely on some slouch down the street of doing you need somebody that is majestic to do that and and robert redford is actually the lead of this movie and he does similar things as well but paul newman especially does some things that that only special special people can do i totally agree with that i might even raise you and say that this is not a better or worse conversation but because of the serial format to these big franchises uh, we love the Marvel movies. You know, we're, we're fans of those things here for sure. It's, it's nothing negative. Because of the serial format, I think something uh, that happens in the casting process 
is that it's similar to television. Are they perfect for this role versus the old movie star format and the older just movie format in general? You had so many movies coming out each year. Movie stars certainly, you know, rose, the cream rose to the top, but the best actors, people wanted to highlight them in different kinds of characters. So even using the term movie star for Redford and Newman, you have two, uh, let's face it, unusually handsome, charismatic, charming, talented, masculine men who have two, two of their most famous movies. They're kind of turning those, uh, those roles a little bit, aren't they? They, they, they figure out ways to find the humanity and, and play against that type. Whereas, I, I guess what I'm saying is that if somebody who looks like Robert Redford and Paul Newman walked into a casting office today, they might want to stick them in a role that is only right for the way they look. Because that's kind of the serial mindset that we're in, which sure. might be why we're yeah. a little bit less excited to see a movie like Cherry. Because Tom Holland is Spider-Man. He's not anything else. I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm just saying that that's kind of what we're being nurtured to think. So I totally agree with you, Jeff. There are so many moments in this where you can see, let's call it what it is. You can see the fucking training. These guys are well-trained actors. When Redford walks in and Newman is going over the card tricks, it's not just the fucking close-ups, you know, look at his hands, look at all those card tricks. Anyone could probably figure out how to do that well enough to shoot a movie if they practice hard enough. It's when the camera comes back up at Newman and he gives them that look that just says it all by, by doing nothing. You know, just the, the acting training that is yeah. there is so obvious and it's so evident in so many different scenes that it doesn't, you don't think about whether or not Newman and Redford and people like that are only perfect for this role. Back then, I have a feeling, and we grew up in the 90s and the 80s, so we still had a taste of this. I used to go to movies to see a great actor do a different role. That was the whole point was sure. to see them stretch and do different things. It wasn't just because I love that movie star. Uh, I don't know. Do you guys think I, I'm bullshitting? I think did there's you, some truth did you, to that? I, I don't know. Did you not hear the gush line or did you just keep talking through it? We did not hear the gush line. Oh, no. So oh. John just th talked through the Oscar speech. He like, was uh, gushing. <laughs> I was gushing um, like a motherfucker. Gushing. Let's get back to it, though. Talk, let's talk about the sting. But they, the, the leads are, I mean, if you need a reason to watch this film, you have no other reason than that. Because I mean, it's, it's sensational. I would okay, describe this as your Marvel palate cleanser. Ah, that's How's, good okay. for you. Expand yeah, on fuck that. Yeah, dude, good job. Yeah. It's, it's like you've, you've, you've gone through the whole right up to Infinity War and, you know, the yeah. end game and everything, and you've gone through that all that formula, and this, this thing goes, hey, come here. I'm gonna tell you a story. Let me tell you a story. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me tell you why and, I think this was so big, though. Yeah. And you touched on it earlier. This is a generational thing, too. Uh, think about 1973. There were two ways to get stories um, visually: television and film. That was it. Yeah. Uh, there was no internet. There was no VHS. There was no way for people to consume these uh, actors unless they went to the movie or saw them on TV or maybe the TV played the movie. Now I, I, I would say that maybe there's, there are too many actors available to us for us to be as enamored with them as my generation was with a Redford and a, and a Paul Newman. And I think that's why this movie mm -hmm. made so much money, won the Oscar for best picture and has stood the test of time because it is, it's just, first of all, a great story. Hands down, it's a great story. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. 
back to back to 1973 just for context this one best picture this is a year this is one of the best categories in an oscar of all time which is jack lemon wins for save the tiger nominated against al pacino jack nicholson marlon brando and robert redford jesus (laughs) when was the last time you had five oscar nominees in the same category that are lemon pacino nicholson brando and and again the oscar they're doing category fraud just to try to get this in the supporting categories because you can't recreate that and just to to, to raise what you were saying earlier all of uh, all those movies are wonderful. We could we could list them all, but all of those amazing actors that you you've seen their posters on the wall, you know who they are already. All of them do what you said. They transcend their roles in all of those things. Right. So it's not just that they're famous people and we know who they are and they've made a bunch of great movies. They're fucking great in all of these great movies. And they transcend themselves and they just prove it again and again. So, you know, I don't want to just talk about Redford and Paul Newman and, and I just thought it was important to point that out because I think sometimes people in our generation think. Is that just a Paul Newman and Robert Redford movie? And they underestimate, no, no, no. There was a thing that used to happen in in movie storytelling that doesn't happen as much anymore. I know you don't know who um, uh, Johnny Hooker and Henry Gondorf are yet. Just trust me that you're going to fucking enjoy it once you do. You don't need to know... You you don't need to know their origin story. It doesn't fucking matter. I promise you, this movie's tight. Uh, So let's get to the, the actual filmmaking of this. George Roy Hill... I think he, um, I think he understands. You said period piece, Jack. And so right. when I started watching this, of course, there was a part of me that was like, "Great, let's do it again." Butch Cassidy Sundance Kids was a period piece. Like, clearly knows what he's doing. Slaughterhouse Five. This guy has it wasn't his first time, but sometimes when uh, you go into the Depression twenties, thirties era, I think this is thirty six. You there's a little bit of me that's not apprehensive, especially in the hands of a good you know good director and stuff. But there was a little bit of me that was like, "All right, how." How many, you know, old cars am I going to see drive by? How many, you know, am I going to feel like I'm being pimped into this era? And for me, the answer was, I, it was seamless. I, I felt like there were so many tiny details in production. And I don't even th- think they used that many sound stages. I feel like there were a couple of things that were set outside, but there were a lot of soundstage usage. And all of the details worked for me down to the acting, of course, from the extras and the many, many, many characters that get brought in on the con. But just uh, production-wise, I uh, I could not stop thinking about, I'm not hating on contemporary filmmakers, I am one, but there was something to the grittiness of the way he chose to produce this film. If they shot this today, it would look like it was fucking too shiny. It, all the clothes would have looked a little too new. There would have mm. been t- something too contemporary about it. And about halfway through this movie, I forgot I was watching the period piece. Yeah. You know, I, I really didn't even think about thing. it. Mm. I'm just buzzing John for not formulating his thoughts in 500 words or less. <laughs> oh, okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. He had his coat. I was so excited. I was so excited. Dave, do you have a thought or do you want to just I, I have many or? thoughts. <laughs> I have many thoughts. Uh, I was just, you know, waiting my turn. Mm-hmm. Um, this is going to be a three-hour <laughs> podcast. Uh, it's this Jesus. seriously. This starts with the most earwarming motherfucker of a theme ever, and I'm not even mad about it. Hamlish, it Hamlish's theme, yeah, yeah, the entertainer, yeah. It's, it's by the way, Hamlish won three it, Oscars it this year for music, which isn't even out. possible. And it's it, like, yeah, I've, I've Hamlish lived... won for the way they were twice, and this. There were three music categories this year, and he won all three of them. And then, then you get to like, and if you want to talk about filmmaking, you get to that opening shot that starts like a photo and then just sort of springs to life. And then the camera just down the street and like they're, they're zooming in on legs and feet and 
all these weird things in the frame. And I looked up the camera they were using. And between that and the shot where he walks up the stairs and it literally goes full fucking vertical. Yeah. I'm like, that's not easy shots to do with this camera. This camera is bulky as hell. It's huge. Like, you'd be hitting yourself in the face with the film canisters trying to get this shot. Like, and as far as, like, you need two grips to push this thing on a trolley, it's, like, the fact that they're able to pull these things off with that technology is amazing. Yeah, yeah. Also, I do have a question. Do you think this was the origin of the this one is eating my popcorn joke? Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm calling that. I'm calling it. This was this is where it came yeah, from. That may have been it. That was that was very funny. Yeah. What do you think about uh, the script itself? We kept saying like story, but like Dave made a comment last week in Citizen Kane about how he was apprehensive because sometimes these older movies feel like a little bit challenging. But then we all agreed that the best older movies, I guess all movies, but certainly the best older movies are just written so fucking tight that you kind of don't even have time to think about, am I being challenged or am I bored? It has nothing to do with that. It's just scene, 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 scene. And I felt that way about this movie for sure. Like the, the pacing, the editing were completely in line with how quickly the story was being told on the page. Like, I didn't feel like I was seeing a a filmmaker try to do something magnificent with a script. I felt like everything we needed probably read that way. Did you get that sense as well? Totally. There there was a summary. This is available on on, uh, Amazon Prime for free with um, commercials through IMDb. TV. TV, yeah, yeah, uh, and one of the re- one of the things about this movie that it came up, I think, in one of the commercials, was it's an intricate comedy, and I was like, that's exactly what it is. It's very it intricate, is. but it's also comedy. But it's a heist movie, but it's also a comedy. Um, yes, I think that um, I think that it's a very tight script. It's tightly directed, but with wiggle room for the actors to act, so they actually have some movement, as opposed to maybe some modern technique, which tends to push in as things get more dramatic. Therefore, yeah. the actor in their wide takes has to be still knowing that the the push in's coming soon. This they can move, they can act, and then somehow we still get those close ups, and we almost don't even realize it. I I. I, I my memory of this film, Robert Redford is in motion for most of it. So the fact that yeah. I'm now remembering, yeah. obviously he's got the baby blue eyes and all of those shots, but it's like, wait, I never knew he stood still in this movie ever to get those close-ups in the first right. place. And how do you pull that off? Yeah. Uh, that's that's also, the artistry. Let's just, touch on it, those, yes. let's just touch on those eyes. Holy crap, they must have lit the hell out of that set. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd yeah. Love he to was see, blind. I, I would love to see a luminous <laughs> reading on that, on the like taken from that set. <laughs> I know we're talking about Redford, but Dave, have you ever heard Deacons talk about getting to film Paul Newman in Road to Perdition, his last film, and just like getting to light him, getting to light his eyes, just how the honor that he felt of getting to do that, and then fucking kill him at the end of that movie and how cool that was. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, Jesus Christ. Um. Jack, so uh, you've seen this movie many times, many. so you probably know. Even if there's any like misses in the script, wh- what is what does the script do to you? Like, it, it, do you almost rewatch it? Is it the script is so good that it almost can come to a life in a different way on a second, third, fourth rewatch? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's just it it's a great story, visually stunning is how I would describe it, just because of the way it was shot. Uh, it it makes you feel like you really are in depression era Chicago or, you know, Joliet, Illinois, wherever it is. Uh, the Browns, all the Browns. Yeah. And, and, and the, the way yeah. people dressed in the hats and, you know, the tr- 
you know, a big segment of this film takes place on a train from, you know, New York to Chicago. And that was, you know, that was the way it was done. That was the way people got from those two big cities back and forth, you know, and did business while they were on the train. It's just, you know, that gritty side of, uh, of bookies and, and crime. And I don't know. I just, I find the whole thing really fascinating. I did. I, did, I was tempted. I want to, I would like to watch it again with, you know, the one of those little counters that you count how many people have gone through the thing. Uh, I just want to count how many double, triple, quadruple crosses there are in this movie. Yeah. Because, like, everybody's working an angle on someone, and then sometimes it's, like, three angles, and you're like, you're like, what the hell? Like, this yeah. guy was just, yeah. It, yeah. And it all comes out in the end, but, yeah. And you know, it's... I mean, Charles Durning and uh, Dana yeah. Elkar, some of these classic uh, character actors really had a chance to shine in this movie. And I think the, yeah. that's one reason I like it. Ask, answer me this, because you guys know more about the tech. When did the steady cam come on the scene? Can I take a stab at it, Dave, and then you tell me if I'm right? Didn't sure. Stanley Kubrick take it up a notch with The Shining? Wasn't that one of the first times that it was used in that way of floating behind no, was, Danny? Uh, I believe it was the 50s. I'd have to look that up, but I have mentioned it before on the show. Um, but it was it was before Shining. It was, okay. All right. I wasn't yeah. sure if, if uh, when the Steadicam came on the scene because I didn't know if, like you said, they were doing all these bulky shots with the the dollies and everything, they didn't have the technology, but I guess they did have the technology. I mean, was, pa yeah, was, was Paths it, of Glory well, tracked or was that steady? Paths of Glory, I don't know. I'm because it wasn't sure tracked. Was they a, were in that trench, but they were moving. I'm pretty sure that was a tracking shot because I thought that they were, or a handheld shot, not a tracking yeah. shot. But anyway, not a steady. Okay, yeah, sorry. I mean, no, but regardless though, whether or not the actual arm and the, the apparatus existed, the camera was still. <laughs> it was still yeah. fucking huge. So that's yeah. that's the yeah. real feat. It's not just the, the idea <laughs> of how do we yeah, this, a this camera. camera is not small, and like the film canisters are like full size. So it's yeah, it's a like. And and I have an, I have an, I have a note further down. I'm like, holy shit! They put this, put this thing on a carousel. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, yeah, just hold him in the frame, and like you mentioned the the DP going, all right, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But he did yeah. it, and it looks great. I mean, it, it and it's. You know, you if you get inventive, you can do anything with almost any gear. Yeah, yeah. lighting counts, but almost, like, yeah, it like comments on itself in a way. But I mean, the the uh, tiny little flaws in the movement, the actual cinematography, it kind of comments on the the era, doesn't it? Like when you look at old pictures and they're just a little bit out of focus. Like there's these, there's something to be said about having seamless technology that may have kind of lifted me out of it. There's sometimes Dude, a couple shakes and stuff. There's, a, just, there's at least like there's at least two out of focus shots in Army of the Dead. <laughs> sure. So, you know, fuck that. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 um, no, no. You're right. You're right. Yeah, amazing supporting cast. I did actually recognize an Earl Jones out of Luther, but I will say there's one thing though. It's actually James Earl Jones's father. It's James Earl Jones. I didn't realize. I thought it was his yeah. brother. Oh, okay. I mean, no, you would just father. you would just guess. 1910, he was born. James Earl Jones is 1930. Do you think he ever pulled that gag? So a very young Dude, that is excellent. He probably should have because he I was thought, James. I, mean, I was like, they I have am the same your voice. Yeah, honestly, <laughs> I was like, this guy sounds. I've been doing like that James all the. I've been doing that all the fucking time. Yeah. The second that came out, I mean, I, 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 I call him on the phone. And just in case anybody missed this, because this is this is my favorite part of the movie when they're talking about doing the big. 
con, which I thought I was like, oh, that's kind of fun. There's a big con out there. And it's like the con that you have to live with the rest of your life. And like, we've been through Watergate. Like people have to do this in real life. There are people in the Trump administration that are like, fuck, I can't talk about this for the rest of my life. God, I could sell a book. Mm. All I need to do is squeal. <laughs> Don't you dare buzz him. Don't you dare buzz anyway, him for hating um, <laughs> They go... Oh, I think it's um, I, I think it is Paul Newman. That's like, don't worry, I just need about two hundred men. I'm like, two hundred. This is like a yeah. small army's worth of of not just fellow con people. Con people at the yeah. time means actors. They have to act. They're putting on makeup and yeah. hair and stuff to pull off this con. It's they create a casino in, a, in an abandoned area, and they're all con men actors. I mean, it's yeah, brilliant. It's, it's such yeah. A, well, it's meta. It's so isn't clever. It? It's the kind of show within a show thing. Like they're putting on a play in front of you in a movie you know i mean the, they, they pull in enough cast i i would describe this almost as ocean zero yes yeah. yes like, <laughs> i was gonna say how many yeah. times do you think steven soderbergh watched this movie and by the way oceans <laughs> 11 both versions are another couple of my favorite films because i like yeah. i like yeah. that yeah. kind of genre but you know this Same. turns it turns into they're they're doing the con basically to get revenge for the death of luther's character and yep. that's where the line came from. He says, uh, you know, you think we can find the crew? And then and Newman says, you know, after what happened to Luther, I don't think we can get more than two or three hundred. Meaning, you know, <laughs> yeah. Luther, Luther had a lot of friends that were grifters and they would would come and be a part of this to to avenge, you know, his death kind of thing. It was Okay, I loved cool. it. I'll even well, put, but, yeah. but Robert Redford took money at the end, though, right? Like, he's not an idiot. No, he didn't take no. any money. No, no he, he didn't, didn't take the money. money. He was, what he an was, idiot! That, he was that, in I don't it for the revenge. Our, I don't know if our generation would buy Yeah, but you can get revenge, but still walk home with $5,000 at the time, which, when meatball sandwiches were 25 cents, yeah. $1,000 goes really well. No, I think that was his character. Away, I mean, they, they, right? they, yeah, they set up his character at the beginning. I, I thought that was a great, yeah. like, And yeah. Jack, I love what you said about... I love that you pointed that out, because I like the Ocean's movies, too. De- yeah. Definitely, I am on board. I enjoy that that fun time. But they all took the money. Brad Pitt wasn't like, <laughs> sure, no, nah, I'm okay. Just give me the suits. I think just give the me the suits one, I'm wearing. I think in the second one uh, of the Oceans movies, twelve, uh, yeah, somebody I, I is yeah, I didn't like twelve dying. as much. Yeah, but some somebody is dying in that one. I can't remember. Yeah. But but just in general, the uh, I think he was all about having the fun. I did enjoy that the Sting still was fun while being rooted in the fact that it was because of Luther. And for a minute, I kind of wasn't thinking about Luther. And then they brought it back when it turns out, spoiler alert, it turns out to be part of the con. But when the guy playing the Fed threatens with Luther's wife by taking her in, you're, re- you're reminded again, oh, yeah. yeah, there are emotional stakes here. There's some, this isn't really about the con. This is about the revenge. And right. it grounded me again. It kind of took it up a notch because I was having a lot of fun up until that moment. So even though they had me fooled with, is this part of the con or is it not? Yeah. That didn't matter as much to me as what's going to happen to Luther's wife. So just emotional circumstances. They they crushed it in the middle of this fun oh, con yeah. heist movie. There were still and, emotional circumstances. And, and that whole federal thing, that's where the the audience got stung. Because yeah. you yeah. weren't in on that. You thought that yeah. you were watching that and you thought that was really happening. That went horribly and that, wrong. And yes. that was part of the <laughs> that was part of the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. That was good. Such excellent. a good movie. Yeah, it's like we're Thank gonna give you. you it all. We're gonna give you the whole plan, and then no, yeah, not the last part. Right, and I think the one of the the reasons that to me it made sense that, that Redford didn't take the money was that he'd already shown his character to be pretty reckless and you know wasteful, and you know I'll just uh, 
I, I didn't do this for the money. I did this for Luther. And, you know, you, you said no matter how much we got, it wouldn't be enough. But it's close, you know. Yeah, that's a great line. Yeah. And it, isn't there a line towards the beginning when somebody is telling, I think it's Luther who's telling like Rob Redford, you got to start doing something else. He's like, but I like it. Yeah. I like grifting. It's like my no, favorite thing. My, my favorite one at the beginning is you're a con man and you blew it like a pimp. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You blew it like uh, a yeah, pimp. I don't know. I'm glad this is your favorite movie. I'm certainly glad you, you said it was your favorite and that we were were assholes who pretended like we had seen this movie <laughs> when, and then we now had to finally fucking watch it. But honestly, um, it didn't surprise me that the three of you hadn't really spent much time with it because of the generational thing that I mentioned. But I love the fact that you don't have to be of a certain age to appreciate great cinema. And, yeah. you know, you, you can go back and you can watch Citizen Kane, you can watch The Sting, and then, you know... I can yeah. watch Army of the Dead. <laughs> yeah. And we all learn a few things. And we all learn a few things along the way. Uh, is that yeah. the trade-off? Oh, me- no. I feel like you got shorter. Right. Any, other meat on the, any other meat <laughs> on the bones, yeah, guys? So anything sorry. else that you, you'd, you'd hate yourself if you didn't say? I guess I, have to, I do have one more question. Um, back when it came out, they were already so famous. Was it kind of like Paul McCartney and John Lennon? Like, were there two camps of who was cooler, who was sexier, who was more talented? Or at this point, was some was one of them kind of on top, Paul or Rob Redford? I think uh, my perception yeah. was that Paul Newman was, you know, being the senior actor was was more on top, and Redford was his protege, and that was the way I think everybody viewed it. But but uh, film fans would have said, well, I love both of them, but you know, Newman's my favorite or, you know, but, he's got the yeah. best salad dressing. That, that best kind. salad dressing. And also Robert Redford <laughs> <It is> delicious. <laughs> threw yeah. a lady oh, out like of a phone dressing. booth here. An old lady, Robert Redford threw a lady in this film. So maybe Paul Newman. Yeah, but then that the old cake. lady beat like three guys with her purse. And I fun. thought that was awesome. That was like fun. that yeah. was a well-crafted oh, yeah. scene. Yeah. 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 Was a real yeah. scene. Oh my gosh. Well, this is Paul so... Newman is the coolest guy on earth. Yeah. This is fun. This is awesome. I will say if I had to give an edge, I think Paul Newman won the acting battle too in this. Although Robert Redford was obviously amazing too, but Paul Newman does something, man. Especially in, when it gets to man. the gambling, when it gets to the con. Holy shit, Paul Newman yeah. man, doesn't get any better than yeah. that. You just want to point a camera at that guy. I mean, good god. He got me. Yeah. He got me, and I'm like, yeah. this is not right. Is he fucking with me right now? Is he turning? It's like, <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, Jack, thank you so much for joining us. And thanks for having me. It's a pleasure always. Thank you, brother. Thank you, everybody. Dave, can you go ahead and introduce the films for next week that we're going to be doing? I mean, you didn't write them down. No, did I didn't you? write them down. I had a big week coming up this week. <laughs> well, you know what's not having a big week next week? New film release schedule. So we're going to take a week away from the uh, the now showing films. Yeah. We're going to go back to uh, an absolute classic for should have seen it by now, and we're going to do American Graffiti. Woo. And then we're bringing back. Was it really that bad in a new debate format? John? And we're going to do the Toxic Avenger. All right, friends. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you for everything. Uh, Thanks again, Jack, for joining us. And we will see you next week, film friends. Take it easy. Bye. Bye.